back to the Art vs. Commerce podcast. And uh, this week is with Ezra Samino Hurt. He owns Case of Base. I, I first met Ezra six years ago now at Portland Design Week. I was there with my uh, documentary that I made in Brazil called Graffiti Fine Art. And um, I was shown around and I met a bunch of people. And Ezra and his company was one of the people that I met and I mean immediately fell in love with their products and Ezra was such a cool dude. We kept in contact and we've been, you know, speaking ever since and I always knew in the back of my mind that once there was an ability to be able to come back and be able to do something with of a higher production value that I'd love to make a little video, a little documentary about him. And that's something that happened uh production was last spring with Justin Hamilton. We um made this documentary together and it went online uh, about maybe a month or two ago. And I had initially in talking with Ezra, Ezra is a fan of the podcast and we were like, you know, obviously if we're going to be making like a four minute internet piece, there's going to be so much of the interviews that fall on the cutting room floor. Um, it would be cool if the interview, if the rest of the interview could live online, maybe in as the podcast. And so for a while I was trying to edit that and it, you know, I thought maybe it could be interesting seeing the differences in interview style between podcast and when I'm directing, you know, a film and directing an interview or whatever. But I felt that the differences were too stark because, you know, when you're doing a film interview, you can't, it's not a conversation. You can't interject. You can't cut off a soundbite. And you're also being a bit more direct in terms of, you know, you obviously, in a, when you're interviewing in film you want to be surprised and happily surprised with answers that are interesting that you didn't expect but you also have things that you you know you, you know that you need to get certain certain types of sound bites there's a bit more direct in terms of what you're after and in the podcast it's all about just exploring more and more and more and more because you don't need to worry about a clean and concise sound bite because the audience is along for the full ride and you know, a lot of times conversation between two human beings leaves a lot unsaid because there's just a lot understood in the totality of a conversation and you don't get that luxury in film. So as I was trying to put that together, I'm like, you know what, let's just call Ezra back and actually do a real art versus commerce podcast because I think that that would, that would just be better for this medium. And so that's what we did. Um, before you check out the the podcast if you can um if you look online updating philosophies there is no way is the full title and um it's it's what we did with him and it gives you a full understanding of um who he is and what he's about and the cool stuff that his that his company does and you know it turns he turns vintage luggage into stereo boom boxes and they're fucking rad so you know it's not the typical art versus commerce podcast and that we're sitting down with a filmmaker which I am excited by because I, I think that at, a, at its core, we're really having a discussion about concepts and philosophies in terms of if you are trying to make your, your art and your expression and your technical capabilities and turning that into a career. And that, uh, you know, that's not only restricted to film. And I hope that as it goes forward, it would be great if we could talk to more people and and outside of film and kind of get a bigger perspective on what it means to pursue your 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 artistic goals and trying to do that in a way that provides for your family and provides for your life and gets to be the main thing in your life both you know in terms of your time and your monetary cover and 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 all of that I think you know that's obviously the holistic conversation we're having and it was cool to talk about it with him especially because I mean the dude's an artist and it's interesting in that that can translate even if you are a carpenter or you are in technically a field where you can just be pouring concrete, but you elevate it and you take it to interesting, unique places that the majority of your industry isn't doing. And I think that's no different than film, especially, you know, just because you own a camera, you can be you can be making corporate videos and that's totally cool. But it's way different than like you know, some really weird experimental music video. And so those parallels exist. And I think that from an audience perspective, if we're able to um, be open to just seeing the correlations and the metaphor between what anyone might be doing in a different industry, I think that it could really make this conversation deeper and more unique and, and, um, and fascinating, uh, at least from my perspective in terms of 
having these conversations, that's what I'm after, and I'm excited by uh, the potential for that. So Ezra's a great dude, super humble guy, hilarious, um, great sense of humor, really um he understands what he likes, and he and he's great at talking about it. So, it's a it's a conversation that I'm really stoked on. And uh, yeah, Ezra Semino Hurt of Case of Base. If you go to caseofbase.com, you could check out. Go do that. Go to caseofbase.com. See, they're just so dope. And you know what? If you like one, buy it. But anyway, have an understanding of the high end stuff that he makes. How cool it is. The great design, so that when you're listening and you're kind of hearing his story, you realize what he's capable of because um knowing that i think really puts some weight to his thoughts and his words so uh yeah another another week another episode thanks so much for being here i mean ultimately i i don't even look at it as uh as an interest it was more kind of a way of being you know so heavy imagination like I used to fly kites in the rain, thinking that if I got struck by lightning, I'd be a superhero. Um, <laughs> and you know, it was like lots of ideas where you're in your you're in your head a lot, you know. And maybe that was a product of the upbringing or the uh, the freedom to kind of go and figure it out. It's kind of hard. Like I'm I'm too close to my own life to distinguish. And I kind of have theories, and I've always thought about like. I wonder what makes me different, or maybe I'm not fucking different. But if I were to really try and break down, it was the ability to troubleshoot a problem and try and isolate parts of it and figure out what was happening and that that whole kind of what makes it tick. Yeah. You know, and then the necessity of, like, not coming from a lot of means. As a kid. Uh, Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, I was the oldest of four brothers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was always great, but, you know, we were never getting, we'd never, we never had the new stuff. Yeah. You know, and you just, it bothered me, but in hindsight, the adversity made me appreciate what I have more and the creative solutions. You know, you would, you would fix stuff or you would, uh, when you were, when you were growing up, embellish it. When you yeah. were growing up, did you know what you wanted to be? Like, did you go into school, into Dude. into college or whatever, like with a Boy. with like a big goal? That's so funny. I never had any. What do you want to be when you grow up? That mm-hmm. was never. I never had a path. I never had a focus. I uh, were your parents asking? No. See, that was that's the other thing too. Is they and maybe I I went to four different private boarding schools through high school, so we were kind of moving around and getting settled. They had a lot on their plate. They were just kind of keep your head down. Are you happy? Those were more the questions rather than, you know, what are you going to do with your life? I think they might have asked, you know, what are you interested in? But there was never anything that stood out. You know, I'd, I'd have short ideas of I want to be uh, an EMT or a helicopter pilot or but you know, they were just <laughs> so like, it, was, it was all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I remember I, you, you were saying that when you went to college or when you got out, you were thinking that you were going to do film. Well, I've always loved story. So my mom worked in distribution of video distribution when I was a kid. Oh. And so it was, it was her job to, you know, sell VHS tapes to video stores. So we had a personal collection of like 15,000 screeners that all Holy had shit. tracking across the bottom property of Paramount, you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. for screening purpose only. And I just thought that was like every movie had that, you know. But the fact that my parents, they kind of curated for us. So we always had what I thought everyone else in the world was seeing was like all the trauma films and like all these things that were not mainstream culture at that time when they were released. They've kind of come back around as cult classics, but before they were cult classics, they were released into the world and they would come across my 10, 12, 13 year old eyes. And I still have a brain for movies and characters and, you know, the whole idea of that world that a movie creates always appealed to me. And, you know, probably hence the flying a kite in the rain and type of thing or like trying to ride your bike so fast that you'd go into yeah the no you you or... like daydreamed and your imagination was cinematic in nature oh absolutely yeah it was very but framed you, by that but you took that practically into trying to be in the film industry for a while Definitely. If, I, if i recall I, oh yeah no so after high school i went to you know, University of Montana, because that was the only school my best friend got into. And I studied some general stuff and then froze my ass off and moved back to Utah. And then 
built houses for a while, was just trying to, you know, I was married, I had a couple kids, just trying to make Built houses? Meet. Yeah, totally. I, I remodeled houses. I was but that, kind of, that, where were those skills coming from? You know, as a kid, I would work summers for my uncle, you know, as a gopher on a framing crew. And so I always knew how to put a nail in a piece of wood yeah. or cut a straight line and spatially adapt it. Like I could visualize something and assemble it and see how things go together. It's uh, it's just part of my personality. And then the ability to make the words, to talk to people, to sell them things. It made it easy to have a kind of a successful remodeling company, even at a young age. You just fake it till you make it, figure it out, and then off, you're off and running. Yeah, because when you were doing that, and you had, I would assume that it was a steady job and you were good at it, was there not, yeah. it didn't hold you? I mean, it held me in the fact that there were every single project was unique and there were always challenges that you have to figure out. But other than that, it wasn't the end game. It wasn't the outcome. I still had, there was still stuff on the horizon for me. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't disappointed in it. I just thought when the thing I like presents itself, I'll pursue that, you know? So I just would kind of like, how long were you in that? Yeah. How long were you in that period? Before I really discovered the ability to get into, you know, the film industry at all, it was maybe 10 years. You know, I moved to I moved to Portland from Utah and I was here for a few years. And then it was kind of like, well, shit, I need to make some money. I went to Portland State and I was taking computer science classes, gearing up to like program drivers in C for military. You know, I had a job lined up like, okay, if you just get this degree, we've got, you know, a friend of the family, you could be making six figures and you'll be set. And I was like, that's a very responsible thing. So I, you know, I geared up to do that, to try and make adult choices, but I just couldn't do it. And not because you didn't love it. Oh, dude, it wasn't even the I tried so hard to convince myself that it was for me and it just wasn't. And my as that as that building, you know, are you you must be looking elsewhere or trying to think? Well, there's always I was kind of miserable. And then my uh, my wife at the time started taking apparel design classes at the Art Institute of Portland and she was really enjoying herself and working on all these fun, interesting things. And I'm struggling through this fucking bullshit lines of code and I'm going, why are you so happy? What are you doing? And I went over and checked out the school, you know, to visit her there or something and saw edit bays. And I was like, whoa, it's not just like a fashion school. Or I thought they had like a cooking program mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was like piqued my interest. And then I started talking to some of the people that were there and design and almost all these jobs I didn't even know existed because I just, it wasn't in my purview. Yeah. And they had a digital media production program. And I went, uh, I really want to do that. But can I justify like what's the what's because the outcome? You, what's, because you yeah. have kids and a family. Oh, totally. And so, you know, I sat down with their very persuasive uh, recruiting department and they said, yeah. you know, it's a it's a bachelor of science degree. You take all the same you get, you know, you actually get a four year degree in science. It's not a bachelor of arts and you'll specialize in digital media production. You'll take all the core curriculum classes and and i went okay what about what about after school and they had you know oh we've got placement for up to two years and everyone's starting at you know 60 to eighty thousand a year and i'm going this sounds great i just dove in with both feet and just you know you start with like the uh basics yeah when you was like when you got out you were committed to to trying to being in the industry oh yeah absolutely and how long did that last I was older, so like out of film school, like there were some people that were older, like, and I say older, like 29, but yeah, no, but, that, but when everyone else that's like first year out is like 22, that is a difference. Oh, totally. And, and older in the fact that I have a wife and kids and responsibility. And the great part was like, I learned a shitload and it wasn't just about film. It was about story, sound, editing, all the art school curriculum that's so it's like composition, art history, color theory. Like I was really fortunate fortunate and lucky to get to do all of that as part of this program and then the uh as you're working on your projects portland's a pretty small film community and one of the professors would have a friend that needed pas or you know oh i needed extra grip on this you know small shoot and then you would start mingling with the people that were doing it and then you'd see oh we're not just using a dvx and some freaking couple hot lights but like, oh, wow, look at this. And then mm-hmm. by the time I got to my senior year, you have to do an internship. And I ended up working with Neil Kopp on 
what was then train choir but it ended up being wendy and lucy and that was like heath ledger's wife was what's her name uh anyway so it was uh it was an indie film i was doing all the pre-production on it with him out of gus van Zandt's office as they were wrapping up production on paranoid park and i was, I was like oh this is I, okay this is a thing i'm you know, moving forward and building relationships. And then I'd always really enjoyed camera department. So I was like trying to get on as a second. Mm -hmm. or I was getting calls and I was getting on call sheets. But the thing was, is every time the phone rang, you'd answer it. And you'd say, yes. Can you do this? Yes. You just say yes. And you don't ask, oh, am I getting paid? Oh, how long is the shoot? Oh, you don't, you know, you like, you, you are felt the guy. the pressure that you couldn't ask those. Well, ultimately, like, if there's an opening on a Sony commercial shoot and they call you, you say yes, because those are the ones that are going to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's if it's helping someone with a passion project, you can be more like, hey, I've got these days and these hours. Right, right, right. You know, but if it's pay work or professional work, then you just show up. And yeah. sometimes you'd work two 18 hour days and, you you know, it was a great experience, but then I'd have to pick up five extra other jobs. And I'm also working as a carpenter on the side through school and projects and family, you know, I'm supporting the family and, you know, it was continuing a, the carpenter was, stuff. Well, it's just easy. It's easy money. You yeah, know, yeah. That was the thing is I could always supplement and I could take short projects, lawn projects. I had enough experience and rapport and referrals that I could kind of pick and choose what I wanted. to. But do. you reach a point where you have you felt like you had to choose. I never really jumped into either one with both feet because I didn't feel like I have the ability because I wasn't just taking care of myself. You mm. know, I couldn't just. Do the super because of the studio. risk of what that would do. Yeah, and I had to support the family. Yeah, you know, it's like you got it. There's got to be an income somewhere. Yeah, and I really enjoyed all of that process, but there came a point where I had to say I can't continue to dedicate to this path, and what I need to do is like preserve my sanity. I actually, for the first time in like 15 years, sent out some resumes and got a job as a project manager for another construction company. So you and just that, went all in in terms of like yeah. the carpentry background work. Exactly. Well, and it was like it had been so feast or famine and, mm -hmm. you know, like life was so crazy that I just needed stability. And someone said, well, your skill set, you could have 30 bucks an hour and health coverage and like almost no responsibility. Like you go to work, you work. And then when you go home, it's all off your plate and you can just enjoy. Yeah. And I'd never liked contractors because they're not very, I don't know, just like me. And well, because you're an, you're an artist, you know, and yeah. like and I don't even mean that necessarily to any given medium. I mean, philosophically, <laughs> you know what I mean? Dirty, not in the dirty way. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though? Like yeah. I, if something is mundane, I could see you ripping your hair out pretty quick. Yeah. No, without a doubt. I squirm. And. I ended up sending out 10 resumes, did like five interviews, and it was just like, you know what? I've, that was a dumb idea. And then I got a call from some guys who were Reedies, and they they had an aptitude test you had to take before you could work there. And like, you know, they was like, label the parts of this building. In which, <laughs> in which continent is, or which country is Spain located? Like, really, like... And I was just laughing and having like a good rapport and they were into building science, looking at it as an art form. And I went, man, I, I can have the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. And well, sure. I mean, architecture and, and construction of like, oh, yeah, really cool things is obviously a form of art. It's it's just there is a difference between being at a place that is making things yeah. like that or you're pouring concrete somewhere. I mean, it, it runs yeah. the full gamut. But you know what? It, the same thing in film. Like, if you're just going to oh, be totally. doing corporate videos, no knock to people, but like, you know, if you're just doing straight interviews, like yeah. pharma testimonials, it's a little different than making a high-end art piece, but it's all within the same medium. This was the opportunity to have 750000 to several million dollar budgets on home remodels really being able to do new processes and products and it was exciting but the company got kind of big and then the you know the owners that used to come out and troubleshoot things with you and you know have a beer at the bar they just like talk to the marketing department this that and the other and the love was gone and mm. so we just kind of went our separate ways my marriage split it was like okay it's time for something new that's a and lot it really I mean, it really was and it was kind of i think the over how long done, of a period of that time 
well, the marriage split maybe seven years ago, 2000, yeah, 2010 to 2011. And then I kind of lost like the passion for all. I was like, not what's the point, but like I'm grinding here for this to all the work for that plan. That was that. And I went, that plan no, being the marriage? No. Well, the, and life. Like, you know, yeah, you're like... Your family. And the, exactly. You know, you're like, you're pushing together toward one point, And when that point dissolves, you go, all right, let's rethink this. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you know, it was... We got together when we were 18 and 19. Yeah. You know, we did 15 years. We gave it a good run. It was the right thing to do, you know. But also on the sidebar, it was like, as much as I love building stuff, the physical toll on your body, I knew that I didn't want to be a broken old carpenter. Mm-hmm. And so I told myself that you're going to do something else by the time you're 35. That's going to be in the works. And that was like my personal goal of this is your launching. Here's your benchmark to launch something that you're going to put all your effort into. Now's the time. And, it, you know, I didn't know what that was, but that was my mental goal. So, I mean, you your marriage ends. You lose this yep. job that was providing an artistic outlet to the construction medium. Totally. What are you looking at in terms of what you're going to do? Uh, I go back to uh, mercenary carpentry work. I uh, start... Uh, well, yeah, because I guess you, you uh, need to make money. I start a company called Handsome Boy Remodeling, which was, <laughs> which was a play on the... Uh, Prince Paul or Handsome Boy Modeling School album, which is one of the greatest hip hop albums ever. And uh, a friend moves from New York, actually Abe. He we start taking jobs, and it was fantastic. It was like a good year of great clients, great projects. You know, it was just like okay, it was a lot of me time figuring out how to be just not part of a couple, be a person. You know, I'd done that my entire life. You know, it was like. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! I'm I'm released back into the wild. There was yeah, there was mayhem and chaos, and I was a professional troublemaker and got it out of that with my skin. But I like to think that all of this paved the way, you know, laid out the necessary framework to where I am now. Yeah, it's it's, it's well, been an, w- it's been a crazy journey. Yeah, at what point? At what point does anything resembling case of base start to happen? Like how? Because if you're doing this handsome boy. Re- thing yeah as that's going along are you just like yeah this is my business and i'm growing this and this is what this is what's happening and i'm cool because Uh, how does something else enter the frame if you're if you you have blinders on i kind of well that was the thing is i hands up boy remodeling was a means to an end and that was kind of uh, the opposite of blinders i just opened everything up to let's see what comes our way like now i'm ready to receive the divine message and maybe it's i'm gonna try a bunch of different things and maybe it's i don't know what the fuck i was thinking to be perfectly honest i was going from a to b and ultimately what case of base stemmed out of was that same creative problem solving from my childhood Mm -hmm. Uh, my younger my younger brother alex had moved to portland he was looking for graduate schools wanted to get a change he'd been in albuquerque and we were doing some projects and it was january pretty slow and uh we were in a best buy and it was who knows why the hell we were there but uh there was a large over-the-top kind of futuristic mixed with retro boombox that i couldn't i mean i couldn't believe it. it like it really like it touched me to the fact that i went why why did this all die like where did all the interesting audio stuff that had so much soul and spirit because I always love speakers and, you know, that type of and not like car stereo stuff, but like a rack at your house with like exposed drivers and EQs and like that type of gear. Yeah, I just really enjoyed it. And there was nothing like that anymore. And everything had kind of been softened and plasticized. And that boombox just was like, fuck, yeah. And you know, you look at the price tag and it was like 400 bucks and you went, whatever. And, but it, it like rented space in my head. Mm-hmm. And so we, over the next few days, I'm like, dude, we should build something like that. We should build our own, you know? Yeah. And my, uh, my good friend, Chris Regis has an electronics recycling company. You know, imagine like a 10,000 square foot warehouse full of, we describe it as like a Star Wars garbage dump you know from of every possible old computer vacuum stereo component amp and some stuff is trash and other stuff just like people are like we don't want this anymore 
and you but, can't but throw it's still cool. yeah and you can't throw electronics away in Oregon you have to take them to a recycling place mm-hmm. and so the amount of you know e-waste that exists in the world would make your head explode i i cannot wrap my head around it yeah but he just said dude come dig come whatever you want and we went down and we took my van down and loaded it up with amp parts and speakers and like any cool things we could find vu meters and like it was uh probably february 2012 and the garage got turned into like the workbench got set up and Alex and I sat in there and like desoldered components and potentiometers and like trying to disassemble integrated circuit boards that and put them together and make it work and then get power supplies and can you get a sound out of this and is this broken and we were doing it was like dawn to dusk yeah and we were just so excited you were passionate about it oh my god it was like it was like you couldn't wait to get up in the morning and see what was going to happen the next day yeah and, you know, it was like, okay, we've got, let's, let's put it in a, we need a, you know, we need a vessel, we need a container. And, you know, everyone, there's like the idea of the plywood box is what you build stuff out of. And, but it was just like, ah, oh, that sucks. And so we're like, what do we have? What can you find? And we we're like, oh, maybe a cooler or a, a toolbox or something that was already, you know, existed that had some, cl- maybe we could modify or, mm-hmm. and so we just like, we went to the bins, which is like a, a Goodwill super center, kind of like the crazy mayhem for other goods and found a bunch of weird stuff. And then like Alex holds up like a suitcase and you're like, oh dude, that's easy. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a box and you open it and then you put stuff in and then you close it. And then it's, I mean, it really was like the light went on and we were just like bought as much garbage as thinking back now, everything that we're so excited about is like, I would bury in the yard because it was heinous, but it was like enough to keep you going to like be excited and really feel the stoke. With any artistic project, I mean, the, when the light bulb goes on is that's the Eureka thing. Totally. And for you, it, it happened when you saw the luggage aspect. It seems. You know what? It was, uh, when we saw the luggage, it was like, okay, this is a great solution. We don't know if it's the solution, but then once we started putting things together and mounting speakers and figuring out how to make it all work, we had like five prototypes within a week. Yeah. And, you know, maybe one worked, but... It's funny, too, because now it seems like such an obvious thing because this fad has become a I oh, mean, yeah. it's become a fad so like oh, it's, totally. it's now you know in american apparel as some like hipster yeah. thing but but you know seven years ago six it years wasn't ago, obvious it, it wasn't obvious no it was and for me i thought i you know discovered sliced bread yeah and I, would, I made like <laughs> five of them i brought uh one to like an easter party and my friend luke was like that's really a good idea i've never seen anything like this you have to make these yeah and i was like what do you think, Alex? Like, are we like, you want to make it? Should we like, should we dig into this? And he was like, we have to. Mm. And so, you know, from there, we just took our combined momentum and we were eating Thai food and trying to think of a name. And Ace of Base was on the radio. And he just was like, we look at each other. We're just like, Case of Base. And it was like that moment of it's so cheesy. And so on the nose, it just might work. And it's, you kind of name name something and then it becomes that, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then. Well, then uh, from there, like, as you're, you know, because you do have this handsome boy thing and you are doing this thing, which is exciting, but who knows what's going to happen. And it's also, I mean, you are making a product, but it's definitely in like an artistic world, sort of, but it also has function. So like. Are you thinking, do you see, like, what it is now? Did you see all of that in front of you then? Or, so then how did, where does it, where does it naturally go after that? Well, I think if I had actually stepped back and look at the the mountain in front of me, I don't know if I would have been so ambitious and footloose and fancy free. It wasn't like, oh, we have a business idea. Let's write a business plan. Let's get some funding. Let's come up with some prototypes. Let's market it. It was more like, we're going to figure this out. And it was kind of like a slow roll. And we ended up, you know, register the website, build some product, take some pictures. And it was like July of that year. So seven months. And, you know, we'd maybe sold like five. And, you know, they were like a couple hundred bucks. And, you know, we're not making money. Is but that we're discouraging? Losing. 
No, it was kind of what you expected because it's it's really difficult to make something for nothing or excuse me, create something from nothing that's not just art. It's something else. It's a pr product that functions and it has to work. It has to work perfectly. And not being an electrical engineer and just having enough tinkering knowledge and basic knowledge to, and high expectations, it was, we just have a long way to go. You know, yeah. and it was like, you just start that journey at the beginning. And we did, we got incredibly good feedback from everyone that saw it, like, keep going. And so that was, instead of the sales, it was more like you're on the right path. And so that was what really drove us and i think it was like four months in i'm like researching amps and this and that and finding components and how are we going to do this and can we buy batteries do we have things manufactured like we had all the needs but didn't know what the outlet was going to be and you know discovered that there was like two other people that were already building suitcase boom boxes and were doing a really good job at it and i just like that deflated me like i thought like you thought oh. co competition deflated you it, you didn't have this mindset of like maybe that means there's a market you know what i felt like was my was propping me up right now was the uniqueness of the idea and and that would give people the patience to let me figure out how to perfect it but then when it's i found out that i was not first to market i kind of went wow am i just a biter like am i will the uh impression be that i'm copying these people mm. and then i thought that is interesting considering how organically you fell into it yeah but it doesn't really matter what you do it just matters in the in the world of public opinion it's how it's perceived totally you know and so it doesn't really matter what the i didn't think that I could carve a niche and then I, I slept on it and it was just like their stuff is this and I don't have the experience yet but maybe I can find a niche in the price point below them try and offer some alternatives I mean and it was like Sacramento and Chicago and I'm like you know what it's a big world like let's just see we'd already yeah. had enough put enough into it that it was like and this is still a see. side thing totally yeah no, when, when 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 were when was the impetus to stop it from being a side thing and what was the indicator for you that it's like an all-in or nothing situation in terms of oh, making it really work man i would say really so it was like july of 2012 so we had been doing this like six months mm -hmm. and we'd produce a bunch of beautiful content pictures and you know i designed to build the website like all the art school chops came in and yeah. it was like polished and shiny and we got reviewed by the thrillist uh but the national thrillist so it's like a city event slash product slash you know yeah. internet and then that got picked up by freshest mag and habitat the daily mail uk like we got i think you know it's like 30 or forty thousand web visits you had a you had a breakthrough month. moment oh my god and like design blogs it's just like so much traffic and people are like what are you, you thinking know, when that happens i mean that's got to be that's got to be the most satisfying thing considering how was, much time Dude, it really, it was almost too much too, like now I would say it was too much too soon. I wasn't prepared. And the amount of things that I didn't know how to package and ship like a huge suitcase electronic thing and it would get to somebody. Well, yeah, because like were, were, your, were the order amounts just doubling and tripling or whatever? Yes, totally. And we could only sell what we'd built because they were all custom one-offs. And so, and our price was lower. So like you'd ship something across the country, dude, all around the world they were coming in. So we're doing international shipments and I'm like, how do you mail something to Germany? <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, it'd, it'd get there and it would be broken, you know, destroyed in the mail. And I always knew that I didn't want to disappoint people because they bought something from me trusting that it would you know, be what I said it was. And so I'd have to pony up and send them a shipping label to ship it back and I'd repair it and then learn that lesson. And, you know, I wasn't bleeding money, but like it was a very, a lot of very expensive lessons in that process, you know, like, oh, I forgot to, we were so busy. I, I didn't solder that thing. Was, was, so there, it sounds like there was almost this thing of like when some of the press starts breaking, you're like excited yeah. and oh, then totally. it reach and then it, I, I mean, of course, but then it reaches like, then it keeps going and the yeah. viral nature of it keeps <laughs> growing. And at some point you're like, wait a minute, I'm, this is actually scary. I'm not ready, but you don't get to pick when the wave comes, you know, like yeah. you're big wave surfing, like you're either paddling in or you're not. And I took my lumps and it just became a perpetual game of like the biggest lessons I learned from all of that was 
in my life, I've always been able to like assess something and put energy into it and get a response, you know, but this was like assess something, put energy into it, and then it would send out a big wave into the world. And then like three months later, the response would come. And then it took time to kind of go through that enough to get the pacing, to realize that, you know, if you build it, they will come. And Chris Regis with the electronics company told me that when he started, he didn't have any customers and he just went to work every day because he was working for himself. And you go to work every day and in that time, you're planting seeds, you know, so we're farming everything. The seeds that I'm planting today, I'm going to be eating from in six months. And the, what I'm eating today is the seeds I planted six months ago. So that mindset of like long term of like, no, no, you just keep going. And then it's the energy that you're putting into this thing is going to be up there waiting for you. And so that was a tough lesson because I like I move quick and a quick turn around and I want to see and what's this and what's that. And then that slow to, okay, quarterly results, or now I'm getting this information and then figuring out how to analyze like, well, where did you hear about us? And, you know, it'd be something from six months ago that you're going, all right, where I thought I was failing because I wasn't getting immediate results. I just had the wrong kind of barometer of what I was looking Yeah, no, vers the response time is much more drawn out than you were anticipating. Totally. A lot of things happen so quickly in a lot of ways in our life now. But when you're dealing with trying to get an idea out into the world, it, it has to soak in. You know, it really does. And the pacing of it and all of that, I think it was all it was very lucky that things didn't happen. The opportunities that I get now, I would have fucked it up. I would have. I, I wasn't back ready. then. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready at all. Well, and I mean, clearly, though, as much as as much as you're feeling like the initial wave was intense and like you maybe you feel like in certain ways it wasn't maximized because you weren't ready yeah. for it. You're still where you are now. So you did you handled some aspects of that wave, right? Oh, totally. No, without a doubt. I'm I'm not saying that I just where to go, though, after that. Yeah, well, it was because at this point, it's so though, interesting to think. It really is so interesting to think about because you got to you got to think about this, man. That summer was the first time I met you and you were in Portland screening mm -hmm. uh, graffiti fine art doc. And we met through that and then Hellion Gallery. And so I had the studio set up. I don't know if Forest for the Trees, the mural fest had happened that year, but there was things happening. And I had good relationships that my friends were artists and I had a kind of a toe in that world so you know you would like have some galleries and some retail spaces and the christmas push that year was like okay we're coming out and the big move was we're gonna do christmas in new york and we packed up 12 cases in four boxes giant boxes as big as we could check on an airplane we're full of cases we did two carry-on and my friend abe and i flew out to new york and it was my first time to the city and Abe did an amazing job. He took me to all his old bougie clients. And, you know, like we were driving a suburban around Manhattan full of cases. Like we'd pull up, open the back door. So you're really like living that door to door salesman, like hustling dream in a way. Dude, it was so run and gun. And the goal was we're bringing no fucking cases back to Portland. We're going with 12 and we're not leaving with any. And we had a. Uh, there was like a pop-up store that there was like a clothing designer that I'd been working with kind of via doing cross promotional stuff over the internet. And I'm like, we're going to be in New York. And he's like, well, I've got this pop-up store here's This is happening. You can have a booth here. And we're like, awesome. And I cannot tell you how underwhelming everyone else's, what Products? is it? Uh, their ambition and their ability to execute and do like and impress and we show up and I'm not going to say stole the show, but we were the most we had the most fun and sold the most product like it was for being out of town and coming in and not having hometown advantage to go and like show up and ultimately not be deflated by kind of a bummer of an of an event. And that was the yeah. other lesson was managing your expectations and things like that. Like never show up hungry, you know, like really just the product is about a lifestyle and an attitude. And that attitude is one of like, no, we're we're here to enjoy ourselves. And if you love this, you love it. And if you don't, it's OK. We, we don't mind, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, what I find so, interesting, because I was having a conversation, and I think that it's start, this is starting to come up more in these talks, is that perception of your success is yeah. different than the way you feel about it. Because I always I find it interesting to be hearing how I guess still in actual real world terms it's it was still very small and not guaranteed because to yeah. me even like the first time I met you I'm like oh they have this space they have all this product this yeah. shit's amazing and then when you came out to New York to do it I didn't I didn't understand I'm only learning right now yeah. the the small level that you were still operating at and I think it's it's just interesting like the perception of it being a big and successful thing but like you're on the ground and it's not and I think that that's relatable to a lot of people in their careers including filmmakers who are obviously the predominant person that I sit down with totally. where like their reel is something and people look at their website and they're like everybody's so amped and like oh you found success and that person is sitting there going I feel like my whole career can be ripped out from under me tomorrow well and I think that that's a really important attitude to have because if you're resting on your laurels and you're not hungry and you're not on your toes at all times, you know, whether you're a shooter or a producer or a maker or a this, if you're doing it yourself, you have to stay sharp because there's a lot of other fish out there that are hungry, that are willing to do things that you're not willing to do. And you have to not be better, but just always be sharpening your pencil and figure mm. out how to improve your craft and humble you know that's a really that's like one of the important things is the humility of i'm not bragging about this because i have a long way to go and i i translate that into excitement i'm like i really go to work every day and yeah, i'm like excited. it's not a bad thing to no, feel like you're no. not there because it would almost be like if you're there already then what the fuck like what the, else the, <laughs> yeah the, and why was i this current situation yeah this isn't where all the effort was going towards yeah I mean, fear is a fucking motivator, dude. Let me tell you, like. Well, because fear, at what like, point did you yeah. did you pot commit? Because even when like it blew off, it blew up the first time. You were still not only doing that. When did you decide? Well, I'm 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 I've, going all in. So what I would do is I would go all I would work all in until there weren't enough orders to pay the rent, and then I would work on something else. I would pick up a side project and do like you know six weeks of work, and then that would pay the bills to get things rolling again or like pay the shop rent for six months and you know then jump in there and go back and forth and really that's kind of been a little bit of a detriment because when i'm not putting energy into case of base it lulls you know i'm not planting those seeds and that was again it took probably two years of keeping the boat afloat and there'd be i mean i'm not saying that it was slow but it was it was still unsure unsure but like I didn't have the chops to create a product that I could mass produce and I just wasn't good enough at it as a business yet to just do that. It was because it was out of my hands, because it was so new, because it was a mystery to me of how to connect with people and customers that I don't meet face to face. To face. It was, you know, there was always really cool, fun, exciting projects that were happening. And whether, you know, there was never a month we weren't part of an event or doing a special build or a sculpture or this or that. But the insurity is, I mean, shit, dude, there's still insurity. It's a it's a creative venture. And while the the window of insurity and the craft and all of that is smaller and smaller and smaller, and the window to the opportunity in the future is bigger and bigger and bigger, I'm still very I'm cautious. And my business consultant, who I've I've hired a business consultant, and he's teaching me how to transition this into a scalable, you know, not a craft manufacturing, one guy, one show, but scale it into a viable business model. Mm -hmm. And so that's next steps. Says, yeah, that was my that was the meeting just before this was the social media and marketing manager I just hired mm -hmm. uh, him. We're talking about the case of bases fifth anniversary party happening in Portland in March. Uh, I it's, mean, it's, it's interesting that it's, it's taken five years for you to feel comfortable enough to expand past yourself, that you're willing now that there's enough foundation about what the identity of this thing is now that yeah. you are willing to let go of certain things to be done by other people. Cause that's, well, that's what's necessary for scale. Totally. 
Absolutely. And it was uh, the I would have to say that I wanted it the whole time and it wasn't like I needed control of the thing. I just I didn't know how to translate what was in my head, the special skill set that I developed into, you know, teach anyone else. And then how am I going to be responsible for their livelihood? And the realization that, again, you have to jump in with both feet. This has been five years. Either you push through and really take the next step or you hang it up. So, you know, it's like, well, obviously I'm not going to stop. I'm just I'm just arriving. So let's do it. Let's don't be a pussy. Well, you feel, you feel like those things work in waves then because it's fascinating that you're like, if you were to not take whatever the next step is, which you've laid out right here, if you were to just keep going with what you're doing now, that that's yeah. actually resembling the end of it. Or that, that mean, it won't grow. Like, it does, is it is growth If it doesn't necessary? grow, it dies. I, I absolutely think so. I think that growth is evolution. And for me, when it stops evolving and it stops becoming a better process and product, because it's not about what goes out the door. It's the way that it gets put together. It's like the efficiency. It's like all of this. I try and think of it as like almost like a martial art. It's like a dance. All of these things, this life that we live, you're always trying to improve yourself and the way you interact and your understanding and your relationships and your processes so that you can become a master of your own life. And no, no matter what that is, that's kind of the life goal for me is uh, is personal mastery of whatever I'm doing. I always want to be improving upon it. And the next chapter of that is transitioning into something that has more reach, that has the scope can be larger. And with more reach and scope, then I can take on more challenging projects and release the kind of uh, nuts and bolts work to other people so that I can focus on the future of things. And it really is kind of the unknown that's exciting and the unknown that's terrifying. But that's been the it, constant, regardless of yeah. where you are on the journey of the, the product and the business. I mean, and you kind of nailed it initially. If it gets stagnant, if it's not growing, I'm bored. You know, I'm not. It's a boredom a, thing, too, isn't it? Yeah. Like success. I've defined success in my life is not working towards something, but living every day as this is the ride. It's already happening. It's begun. Life doesn't start tomorrow. It doesn't start when I get this thing. It has begun. This is a participatory sport and it started. So you need to start like every day is a gift and experience it. Enjoy it. Don't just glaze through it because, you know, it's it's very limited. And so that attitude of squeezing the juice out of it and the small things is what's ultimately going to provide happiness. So the key to happiness is appreciating what you have. And that process to me, these challenges, all of these things are about finding that joy in all those little things that I do. And I don't know what else I would do, to be perfectly honest. I mean, sure, well, something. It's so, I mean, at this point, like seven years in, it's so intertwined with my understanding of your identity. It's it's yeah. one in the same, in a great way, because it's not, you know, we're not talking about, oh, yes, his identity is that he's a tax accountant. I mean, not, no knock if someone loves that, but like your, it is your creative outlet. It is yeah. the way that you're supporting your family. It is yeah. the way that you're, you know, it's ticking every box. Totally. And it's yeah, all it's, coming from the same, underneath the same roof. Without a doubt, man. You hit the nail right on the head. And, you know, this, it's about just being a, a creative, engaged person. And the fact that I build boomboxes instead of make paintings or cut films or build sets or whatever, whatever the outlet is, however I experience life, the common thread is that it's all about hard work, dude. It's you got to really love hard work and the challenge of not knowing if you're going to make it and making it, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it through this year. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this week. I don't know if I'm going to make it through today, but you break it off into that bite-sized chunk and you just, you know, bite off more than you can chew. And then that makes everything kind of worth doing. It's like just challenging yourself, not being, not lethargic, just the status quo is, is for people that aren't engaged in their own lives, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's something about being present. Very. And like, absolutely. you know, uh, do you think that it would ever grow to a point that you are just simply not the guy building them because you are running this business or that, that Dude, must be scary? No. You know why? Because if it gets to the point when you say running the business, I'm not the best person to run the business. I would have someone run the business. I got you. I would be, I would just, 
You're the creative guy in the shop exactly. making it. Maybe I wouldn't be the the nut turner on the day to day, but I will always be the dream job is to have enough sales in product that I can think of something and have an idea and be like, oh, I want to try this. You know what would be amazing? And then go and do that and then either succeed or fail, you know, and see it through. And then find a home for it, you know, like, oh, I want a 12 foot plywood Gundam robot that instead of guns, it has woofers, you know, and or or like, <laughs> you know, like I want to build droids that follow stormtroopers around in Comic Cons that have like that are droid boom boxes that track them and play their their theme music behind them. You know, I want to build, I have like a million ideas. And when I discover processes or products or materials, there's so much interesting things that you can collaborate and work with and other creative people and different ways to tell that story. You know, it's like in a creative functional type of thing, your imagination is the limit. And I mean, maybe budget, but ultimately yeah. you work around that shit like if you get the money you you spend it and if you don't have it you just build it with what you have and it's all the same yeah no that's cool man i mean i think that that makes sense even in terms of the growth because obviously i mean like the question is like where do you want it to go obviously to grow but it does make sense you know in terms of like coming to like the close of the combo really that yeah it, it's the type of thing where you don't need to be the business manager in order for you to feel like you're successfully owning the business it's like oh, you're yeah. totally you're totally happy hiring someone to do that so that you can keep it for the reasons that you started in the first place which i think it's it's really nice to that's great to hear and i mean it doesn't, it, it's, it's not shocking but yeah. it's just it's nice <laughs> that you it's nice that like you're quite aware of that well you got to know your strengths you know like yeah <laughs> i'm i have done the best i could to this I think that the best case scenario is we grow, we continue to grow, we we employ people, we extend our reach because really like I'm proud of what we do. I think that what we make makes people happy and music and art and creativity are positive influences on the world. And the more that we can do that, you know, I've, I've chosen a secret weapon that I really enjoy and like to share. Mm. And so the more of that that I can get out there and the more people I can reach and the, you know, ability to cultivate relationships and meet people and learn about their experiences. And, you know, music, music is a great tool and art is a great tool. And I feel pretty fortunate to be able to be a part of this and share it with people. And so that's the motivation is just gratitude, a little humility, being hungry, fucking wanting to work hard, not being afraid of a long day, not being afraid of getting dirty and sweating it out and like taking a bite off something that's how the how are we going to fucking do this? And then you're on the <laughs> other side and you're like, we did it. Can I go to sleep now? <laughs> <laughs> well, then, right on, man. Yeah. I mean, that's a great. I feel like we can we can definitely keep talking about it ad infinitum. But I think that's a good yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's a good that's a good spot to end on. And I think it's cool that um like I like I mentioned midway through. It's just it's been interesting seeing it at different points, seeing it five years ago, seeing it. Yeah. Three years ago, I guess, for the SantaCon thing in New York, totally. and then seeing it last year for the sh last spring for the shoot. So it's been it's been great seeing it grow, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, we couldn't have done it without you, Jerry. There it is. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, dude, for sitting down. Yeah, my pleasure. We'll talk to you soon.